The purpose of Memorial Day is to preserve the memory of a person or an event, to bring to mind an occasion or to spur us to consider a, what a person or a group of people, what they stood for, fought for, and even died for. This is a memorial that we uh, have in our house now. It was in my mom's, and now we uh, have it in ours. A friend of the family's named uh, Jimmy Blackburn created this, and what this is is a collage of uh, pictures and medals and pens that belong to my grandfather. You see a picture up there. You can see where I get my good looks from the, from the middle there. Actually, I think, we're, I think maybe that's where my son gets, gets his. But you see here, you can see it up there. There's a picture. His name is Harry Schoberth. He was a captain in the 1st Armored Tank Division. Uh, different medals and, uh, and pictures of him. I think this, this bottom right corner, I think, is a picture in Italy. He would write letters to my grandmother just talking about how beautiful Italy was, particularly Florence, Italy. And he was actually killed by a sniper, unfortunately, 12 days before the Germans surrendered. And because of his love for Florence, Italy, that's where he, uh, that's where he was buried. It was given to our family in 1982. I was eight years old. It was given to my grandmother, but my grandmother uh, kind of had a, maybe a sixth sense about this, and she knew that it was going to be her last Christmas, so she passed it on uh, to my mother. I can remember growing up, being at my, my grandmother's house and saying the Pledge of Allegiance for the very first time and just how proud she was. This uh, memorial to my grandfather has has stayed with our family, but I even found out some, uh, some new and different things about it. Uh, this this uh, centerpiece here is actually a letter that says, typed written letter, it says, by the direction of the president, the Silver Star has been posthumously awarded to your husband, Captain Harry A. Schoberth Calvary, for gallantry in action in Italy. And then down here in the bottom is, a, is an article, I, I, I'm guessing it was probably in the Woodford Sun, that says, Versailles man in first tank in Rome. That happened in June 5th, 1944. Rome was the first capital to fall in World War II among the Axis powers. I read online that it was a famous victory that was almost immediately forgotten. The Stars and Stripes says, we're in Rome. And then the very next day is invasion. Because the D-Day invasion happened the very next day. Now, victory didn't come easy. I read that it was a combination of nearly a year-long, unglamorous, hard slogging on the Italian boot from the beachhead to Rome over the winter and spring of 1943 and 44. And even after Rome fell, the fighting continued for nearly a year after that, partly because the Germans had built such a gothic line of machine guns in the mountains that with uh, machine gun nests and artillery that forcing American and allied forces to gain ground at great cost and possibly cost my grandfather his life because of that. Sadly, all their struggle and heroic efforts took place in what's been called the Forgotten Front. And it would have remained that way for future generations in my family if it wasn't for a, a memorial like this. Because of it, future generations in my family can uh, 
be reminded that they're perhaps their great, 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 unless Christ comes back before then, but their great-grandfather was part of a famous yet forgotten victory on the forgotten front. There's another forgotten front, though, that we forget about, but it's dangerous if we do. That forgotten front is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, in that the Holy Spirit reports through Paul what's happening on this battlefront. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might in, and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See, we are in a battle right now that is in the spiritual realm, and it is in the unseen realm, but it, it is as real as you and me. It is a battle between good and evil, between God and His angels and Satan and His fallen angels who are demons. The battle is for us. See, Satan tried to overthrow heaven, and God kicked him out, and a bunch of angels went with him. We as human beings are the only creatures, we're the only part of God's creation that God says that we are very good and we are made in His image. And if Satan cannot take over heaven, he can destroy those who are made in God's image. So there's a battle that is raging. And so I want to give you a, key, a few phrases here that I'm going to say this and I would like to for you to interact with me on this, I'll say it first. But to let us know what's at stake, our strength is in God. Our defense is the armor of God. Our plan is to stand against our enemy, the devil. I'll say it one more time. Our strength is in God. Our defense is the armor of God. Our plan is to stand against our enemy, the devil. Once you fill in the blanks, I'll go, our strength, and you say, is in God. Our strength is in God. Our defense is the armor of God. Our plan is to stand against our enemy, the devil. Verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what are we supposed to do about this? It sounds like the odds are stacked against us. And the truth is, in just our, our human selves going against Satan, yes, Satan would have us for lunch. But we don't realize how powerful God is. Because our strength is in God. Notice that it's not we're strengthened by God, like we could go out and do whatever we want, and then we need to go back and get a spiritual fill-up. You know, we come in on Sunday, if we are strengthened by God, we come here on Sunday, we tip off, uh, we tip off our tank, and we're good for a few days until we start running out again. No, we are strengthened in God, meaning we must be continually in the presence of God. We must continually be in His Word. We must continually be in communication with God, our commanding officer in prayer, we have to stay connected with the source. No matter what appliance you have, you take the cord and you place it next to the outlet, 
Nothing's going to happen. You have to plug it in for the power to get engaged. And that's the same for us, that we have to be plugged in in God because our strength is in God. Our strength is in God and His mighty power, which we so desperately need because our enemy is the devil. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground against the devil's schemes. Our enemy is the devil, which means we are not fighting against people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know what? The devil likes it when we quarrel and fight amongst each other. It gives him a break. Our struggle isn't against people. It isn't against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, there's no need to be overwhelmed because we're going to talk in a moment that God gives us spiritual armor, a, sp a spiritual weapon to fight against the devil in the spiritual realms. But first, we've got to know that our strength is in, our, is in God. Our enemy is the devil. The Bible says that the devil in 2 Corinthians 11.14 masquerades as an angel of light. In John 8.44, Jesus reveals uh, that, the, that Satan is a murderer, that he's a liar and the father of lies. In 1 Peter 5.8, the Holy Spirit warns us through Peter to be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not some guy in some hooded hooded pajamas with a, uh, with a tail or pitchfork, whatever. He's a roaring lion looking for his next meal. So our enemy is the devil. They're not human. He's clever and crafty. He's deceptive. He's vicious. But none of that matters as verse 10 says that we are strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. First John 4, 4 says, Your dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That means that no matter how great that Satan may seem, no matter how powerful that he might try to convince us he is, God is just that much more powerful. Greater is he that is in you than Satan that is in the world. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I love it. More than conquerors. Through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in and, and nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, our enemy might be the devil, but our strength is in God. Greater is he that is in us, and our defense is the armor of God. God does not leave us defenseless. But here's the thing, we have to put on the full armor of God. It just doesn't happen automatically. We have to put it on. The spiritual battle requires spiritual armor. So it says in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. If you have your message notes in front of you, the pieces of the armor of God are are broken down there for you with the scripture references so you could uh, look at those later on. It's interesting that Paul, when he tells us about putting on the full armor of God, that he actually presents them to us in the order that a Roman centurion would have put his armor on. Let's say the Roman centurion would already have his tunic on. Well, he would put his belt on first to give him freedom of a movement, kind of cinch up his tunic so he could so he could move. Now, his belt is not just to kind of give him freedom of movement, but his belt, the belt that we call the belt of truth, was very critical for the Roman soldier because it tied everything together. He would hang his sword on it. His breastplate of righteousness would fit on it. Truth holds all things together. We have truth as well. And see, it makes sense that if Satan is the father of lies, that we would combat the father of lies with the truth. John 8.32 says, Then you will know the truth, Jesus says. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says in John 17, 17, he asked God to sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. There are so many lies out there. So many people are taken advantage of. So many people are, are just swayed every which way. But in order to combat that, we must buckle around our waist the belt of truth and attach to that the breastplate of righteousness. The Roman's breastplate protected his vital organs. Um, I wouldn't try it, but somewhere I read that their breastplate was so strong that you could take 20 paces back. Charlie, I don't know if this is true or not. I still wouldn't try it. But he said you could take 20 paces back and shoot arrows into the Roman soldier's breastplate and only get a scratch. I don't know if Charlie's into archery, so I'm, he's, he's trying to figure that out in his head if that's possible. So, Caleb, you can try that out. You put the breastplate on, and we'll see. Is that good? Okay. So, call the doctor. <laughs> Sorry. We could do it next what? Next small group. Okay, all right. Be prepared to call 911, please, for that. The breastplate of righteousness. But here's the thing this is where Satan likes to get it get us because he knows that we're not righteous. He knows what Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then what are we going to do? Whose righteousness do we need? It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness that we make our own. I've got kind of, it's not really a breastplate of righteousness, but more of a pocket plate of righteousness. This is something else in my grandfather's. 
thought it was pretty cool. It says, may God bless you. And you open up, it says this, the shield, uh, the, the shield and book of prayer, the heart shield Bible, fits snuggling uniform pocket, the engraved gold-plated steel front cover protects his heart. And it was just so interesting to read through this and see where he had the, the Ten Commandments that he put little one, two, three to mark all, all ten and how he had the Lord's Prayer that he kind of put a pencil mark on it so he could find it quick and in a hurry when he needed the comfort of God's Word the most. It's not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness that we hold on to, that we use it to protect our hearts. Now, even though when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're not done sinning, unfortunately. Hopefully, we're not sinless. Hopefully, we sin less. But the Bible even takes care of that because 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's those verses that we hold on to. We've got the belt of truth that we can refer to. We've got a breastplate of righteousness that is attached to that. And so when Satan tries to attack us, we know where we stand. We aren't righteous on our own. God doesn't expect us to be. But he provided Jesus Christ so we can be. Now, in addition to the breastplate of righteousness, if we have that in place, we have now our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Roman centurion would would have type of sandals that they would have nails spiked in them to give them them traction so so they could have a firm grip. For us, we know in Scripture where our firm foundation comes from. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. We can have our feet fitted on a firm foundation. We don't, all, we don't just come together and and, and hear Brian's sermon, or we, we read Scripture or whatever, and it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It's not how much Scripture you can hear. It's how much Scripture that you can hear and apply in your life and hide in your heart and put into practice. That's what counts. That's where our firm foundation comes from. You know, but the other day when I was... Uh, thinking through this verse more and more, there's something else to it. Because not only is it about a firm foundation, but it says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I got to thinking that perhaps part of this firm foundation has everything to do about having the the ability to share about our hope, our peace in Jesus Christ with other people. Now, for some, you're old hat with that. You're, you're very comfortable in sharing about Jesus Christ and what He means to you and how He saved you and how you have hope in heaven. Some of us just don't like talking that much or talking to people. So 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but set in your hearts, but set apart Christ as Lord. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give you the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You know, I hope that, that someday, Lord willing, all of us could be at the point where we could explain to someone how they can accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's a goal. That's one of the ultimate goals for, that every one of us should have, that we should be able to share with someone how they can accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. But let's say the, 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 the first step towards that is being prepared to be able to share with people the reason for the hope that you have. Now, there is one scripture that means a whole lot to me. It's in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And at, in 1 John 5, 13, it says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know that you have eternal life. Well, do you have, why do you have hope? I have hope because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and my Lord and Savior. And Scripture says that if I believe in the name of the Son of God, I can know that I have eternal life. And with that, and that ability to share it as well, we get a firm foundation. In addition to all this, Ephesians 6, 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The soldier would carry around a large shield capable of not only protecting the whole body, but because it was kind of it was, it's genius, they would soak it in water. And because they would soak it in water, when the enemy would shoot flaming arrows at, the, at them, they would be able to extinguish them. With our shield of faith, we can endure the devil's attacks and extinguish and deflect them, whatever the devil throws at us. Our shield is made up of two parts, God's faithfulness and ours. The first really is our faithfulness and God's faithfulness towards us. The Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3. For, so when we are afraid, we can know this, that for I am the Lord your God. Listen to this. This is in, found in Isaiah 41, 13. This is what God says to us. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. How many of us have done that to a, to a little child or our son or daughter or niece and nephew or a child that we're taking care of and, and they're scared, or scared and they're frightened and they hold up their hand, you know, take my hand and we take it. God does that to us. He takes us by the right hand and He looks at us and He takes hold of our hand and says, do not fear. I will help you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. And fill in the blank, whatever that them is to you. The them, now we're talking about the devil and the spiritual force, the evil spiritual forces of evil. But he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So our shield of faith is comprised first in our faithfulness or our faith towards God's faithfulness towards us. 
And the second crucial part has to deal with our faithfulness towards God. Hebrews 11.6 says, and this is why it's crucial. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. It's not just believing that God is real. But it's believing that He exists and that He wants to reward you and me with eternal life in heaven. If we have that type of faith in God, that type of eternal trusting faith in God, we're not looking anywhere else. We're not trying out different religious fad here and there. We're not doing some, I don't know what you do besides following God, but we're not doing that. That we, we, have, we, we have cashed in our, all our chips. That just doesn't sound right, does it, in a biblical sense. But we're laying it out on the line and saying, God, I am trusting you. I am following you. There is no one else. I'm not you know, grabbing at whatever I can. I am holding on to you. That's the type of faith that we need. That's the type of faith that needs to be part of our shield of faith. Well, next, now that we have our shield of faith in place, the next thing to do is to put on our helmet of salvation. The helmet, of course, protects the soldier's head and face and eyes. For us, the helmet of salvation lets us know that despite how difficult the fight might be, victory will eventually be in sight. In Romans 16, 20, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Revelation 21.10 says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. It's a struggle. It doesn't happen here. And honestly, it hasn't happened in some of the churches that, that I've been a part of. If it, is, if it has ever happened to you, then, then I'm sorry. You, you've been mis, misguided. And what I'm kind of referring to is that the idea that when you become a Christian, that life is going to get all hunky-dory. Not at all. It gets worse. It gets tougher. And you probably have to suffer for the cause of Christ that like you maybe have never suffered before. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, and we can overcome the world through Him. And the truth is, if, if you're not a Christian, 
You know, I made it sound like when you become a Christian, then all of the suffering comes. You're still suffering even when you're not a Christian, and you're just doing battle against Satan with, with kid gloves. But when you do battle as a Christian, you have the full armor of God in place. You have the power of God at your disposal. And you have the hope of eternal life before you. Now, the last part of the armor that we're going to talk about is actually a weapon. It's interesting that up until this point, this has all been defensive. And also, there's nothing guarding the soldier's backside. Why? Because we are to stand our ground. Not giving in, not giving up, not giving the devil any ground. And with our armor of God in place, we take out the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I guess you could call this a dagger. It's a little dagger. Now, I kind of challenge you, you students and those in, in the, in your, who, who, are, who are out in the, the workforce now that you might not be able to take your, uh, your Bible around. I know some of us have kind of Bibles of various sizes, and you know, we got special notes and things. But I'd encourage you maybe to go to the Bible bookstore and get you a little bit of little daggers, and you can keep them in your back pocket and have verses marked so you're ready to do battle when necessary. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. And Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. See, I learned somewhere that when we hide God's Word, <coughs> excuse me, when we hide God's Word in our heart, then that gives the Holy Spirit the vocabulary necessary to do battle against Satan. And if you look in the Gospels, when Jesus Christ Himself was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, He used Scripture time and time and time again against Satan and defeated him in that instant. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Our strength is in God. Our defense is is the armor of God. Our plan is to stand against our enemy, the devil. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says this, and we will close. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. See, that's all that God is asking us to do is that we just have to stand. We have to stand and defend ourselves with all the armor that we have and do battle with the sword of the Spirit. And also, if you look further, and perhaps you could do that on your own later in the week, if you read on further, it talks about prayer. And that's also another battle that we are, another weapon that we have at our disposal. But all we're asked to do is stand our ground, not giving up, not giving in, not giving the devil any ground. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Memorial Day. Memorial Day helps us to remember the men and women in the defense of freedom who risked everything, even to the point of risking their lives. We do this to remember that freedom is, is, is worth fighting for. I hope, my hope is that perhaps for you personally, that Memorial Day each year becomes another reminder for you. And though maybe perhaps you've forgotten about the battle, the, the forgotten battlefront that is there of the spiritual war that's raging around, my hope is that Memorial Day can be a, a time for you to reflect and see how's your armor doing? What areas that you need to work on? What parts of your armor that you need to make sure that you have in place? Of course, everything that we've talked about is hinged on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, throughout the Bible, God had memorials that, so people could remember God's power and faithfulness. 